0: Welcome back to the Godly Young Men Podcast. This is episode 54. We are so excited that you're joining us for this uh, episode that we're pretty passionate about. This yeah. is something that um, we uh, believe very strongly in. We're So last week we talked about preaching. We asked the question, should you be a preacher? We looked at kind of the pros and cons and how, or I guess why we don't believe everybody should aim for it, but why, if you're going to, here's here are the great things about it, maybe the not so great things about it. This episode kind of spurs from that. We're talking about public speaking, and we're talking about really from a preaching perspective of like, okay, if you'd like to preach, and if that's something you want to do, here's why public speaking is, is incredibly important and how to be good at it. If you don't want to preach, public speaking is also still very important, and here's, <laughs> here's why, why you, it's important. Why you should be good at it. I mean, this is something that public speaking will serve you very well if, if, if you are proficient at least at it in just about every
1: area of oh, your yeah. life. All walks of life. I mean, you get asked to do a toast at a, at a wedding, public speaking. You get asked to give a presentation at work, public speaking. You get asked to give up and give a Devo church, public speaking. You're going to be faced with multiple opportunities to public speak. If you shrink back from every one of them because you don't know how or you're too timid or scared or whatever, it will negatively impact you, in my opinion. It will affect your life. The best thing you can do is get good at it when you're young because yep. that's a skill you will continue to build and you can look for more opportunities as you get older because people will throw more on you. You know, you get into a, a high paying job and they realize you're the go to guy. They realize, man, we can trot him out because he looks good and he knows how to run a presentation.
0: Sweet. And just you're just in. As, you're more you know? successful typically. I mean, yeah. that's something that you can in fact, I heard this one time that people look for at resumes and especially nowadays, less so for educational qualifications and more so communication skills, public speaking skills, but like they look for that type of stuff on the resume because again it shows you can communicate well. Sometimes even more so than education does. And so, yeah, I mean, we talked in the preaching episode about and even the episode before about how, how you should take every or take advantage of every opportunity that you can to get out and speak publicly because like Joe said, man, will it serve you really well at your at your daughter's wedding when you give a speech and and, and things like that or you know, at your son's gradu, high school graduation party yep. or whatever when you get to, you know, talk in front of so yeah, it's very important, and when we're passionate about it. We've both been doing it for a long time. I think I have technically, been, you know, I think the first time I ever spoke in public, I was probably 11, 10 or 11 maybe. Last of leaders, I guess, was when I was in 10, third yeah. grade, so maybe not even 10 or 11. I was probably 8 or 9, now that I think about yeah. it, because it was third grade. Um, but yeah, so we've been doing it a long time. We by no means claim to be experts or know-it-alls or anything like that. We were trying to come across or come at this episode in a humble manner, but also in a manner of like... We know what we're talking about we're we're confident in this of like we we have been around the block a few times as far as public speaking goes and so we're going to kind of split this into two different areas um the first area is kind of the technical side of public speaking what are the things that are important as far as that goes and the second half is going to be more so for those of us those of you who maybe will be involved in preaching and, and would like to preach one day how do you take the technical side and move into okay? What about the mental side? How do, how do you prep a sermon? Right? Yep. How do you prepare what to speak on and that kind of thing? But let's start with the technical side of public speaking because regardless of if you're going to preach or not, again, these yep. are things you need to know for the work presentation and for things like that.
1: That's right. First and foremost, speak up. This is yep. this is like the, the the biggest pet peeve of mine. And look, we both went. You did as leaders. I did future preachers for a bazillion years. Is what it felt like. And, um, I mean, we were one of these kids. I, I was one of these kids. I don't know. You've probably always been good. I was not always good. And were you, Mr. Uh, Joe, Joe. My name is Joe. Yeah, my name is Joe. And, and today we're going to be talking about John 3.16. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> speak up. <laughs> speak up, man. Yeah. Right? Speak up. And to go along with this, there ought to be some level of voice inflection. Because there are people that do speak up, but they speak like this. And then everything kind of sounds like this. And And so we're going to turn to John 3.16. Voice inflection. You're not a robot. No monotone. No yeah. monotone. You you want to make sure people get it, that that they're loud, you know, you're loud enough specifically behind a mic and look, mics are weird, they'll do different things, you never quite know, like they might cut out on you, whatever else, you want to have the presence where you don't need a mic, you can project well enough with your voice. And that's just going to come from practice
0: because there's a lot of people like, I can't speak that loud. This is as loud as I can speak. Like, no, it's not. Speak up. <laughs> right? Speak up. And and there are also one of the – I think the most effective public speakers, they know when to raise their voice and they right. also know when to lower the volume a little bit. And it's so impactful of the way they can use the different volume levels and then voice inflection and all those things to like really hammer home a point but then also – to get everybody leaning forward a little bit because yeah. they've lowered their. But that is such a skill and a talent that I've tried to work on. And I mean, there's certain guys you listen to. There's like they've got that down. That would be a technical thing yep. that I would definitely recommend working on. Um, another thing would be posture. Hmm. Stand up straight. This is very important when you're up there public speaking, man. Especially if you're giving a work presentation in front of your boss. He does not want to see you slouching over, and right. you know, Kind of leaning up against the table or just kind of hands in your pockets, kind of slump. No, 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 no. Stand up straight and tall. Act like you want to be there. And act yeah. like you belong there as well. Even if you're, you know, metaphorically speaking, knees are shaking and, you know, knocking together and you're just super, super nervous, man, stand up there tall. Have the posture that you need to, to again, act like you belong there.
1: And sometimes not metaphorically speaking. Sometimes, sometimes you're people, so yeah. freaked. And you see this with, with young kids and you see this with guys sometimes where they grasp the pulpit like it's a, a life vest or yeah, something. Like, yeah. I'm going to die if I don't hold on to this with all my might. And the thing is drenched in sweat as they let go. You know, like, (laughs) sometimes they're using it as a crutch. Look, I get it. Again, I've been there. Like That's understandable. Work your way out of that. Work your way out of it. Speak up, stand up, is what I would say. Just present as presidential. Do you really think... We were watching a... um, my dad had Newsmax on. He wanted to watch the ball drop on Newsmax. Like, what in the world? My like, dad is the same thing. It just killed he said me. He wants
0: to watch the New York ball. Like, Dad, we're in we're in Central Time Zone. It's not our New Year, but oh, you have to watch the ball drop.
1: Whatever. Okay. <laughs> yep. And so he turns on Newsmax. Like, some some consortium, uh, whatever it is, and they have a clip of Ronald Reagan. It just in the middle of nowhere. It's like <laughs> midnight, what... and here comes this clip of Ronald Reagan. It's so weird, but you can see. The way he's just regal, like he's presidential. He stands up, and again, the thing that hit me was he stands tall, and there was such a presence in that pulpit, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't a pulpit, but you know what I mean. Like he's standing in front of a podium, I guess is what it is. The presence there was like, okay, he belongs. Take this, take this man seriously. He belongs. Make sure you're doing that. Another fourth, I would say, be real. And what we mean by that, my family used to grill me on this. Joe, stop with your preacher voice. Did you used to have a preacher oh, voice? Bad, man.
0: <laughs> horrible, he does not now at
1: all. Horrible preacher voice. Well, it's because it was drilled into me a bazillion times. <laughs> stop with the preacher voice. Stop with the preacher voice. It's like, I'm not doing it. You're doing it. And what I mean by preacher voice is, you know, I'm talking to you like this. We're having a good time. I get up in the pulpit. I go to preach or go to public speak, and it's, all right, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to the Word of God. Said, yeah. Like, nobody who, talks who like that. Who are you? Yeah. Like... I know Joe, and Joe's a nice guy, and Joe's personable, and then when Joe gets up there, he's completely different, and he thinks he's got to project as some, you know, I don't know, some superstar type of thing. Be real. Be authentic. What people want to see is some authenticity where the guy who steps up in the pulpit or the guy who gets up to public speak is the same guy talking to you on the, on the street. To me, there's an authenticity there, and right now, maybe in the past, and this is kind of a, an interesting discussion. I don't want to go too far off, but I feel like in the 50s, maybe 60s, 70s, like that was a big deal, is to have the great orator who was not, maybe not as authentic, like he had the preacher voice. Yeah, he stands big, up we booming s- voice. Yes, we still see some of these guys in the pulpit, some of the older gentlemen. That doesn't make them bad preachers, but like they know how to project, and, and not just the speaking up, but like it is a preacher voice. That is not what they sound like. And some people really prefer that. There's a lot of the older crowd that do. In my experience... People are looking for authenticity. I agree. They yeah. just want you to be authentic. They want you to be real. And that's why well, I have a very nonchalant when I present, I want to present as standing up straight, but I also want to just talk to you.
0: They want you want you want somebody up there who makes you feel comfortable because you're yeah. comfortable and not comfortable with the content. I'm talking like they're just up there and it's not necessarily a conversation. But you can tell they're very comfortable up there, yeah. and man, is it the is it not the most uncomfortable thing in the world when you're watching somebody preach and you're like they're really uncomfortable, they're stuttering, they it's just secondhand embarrassment. Like it is, you don't, you don't like that. Uh, to me, I agree, Joe. The most effective speakers, I guess, public speakers, preachers, whatever, are the ones that are up there, and you can tell they're very comfortable. They're having a they're they're somewhat having a conversation. It's very they're they're real, they're authentic, they're genuine. Yeah, they're, they're genuine. There is not a. Um, not a rehearsed feel to it, like there's a fakeness where they're trying to sell you something. No, no, no. There's a realness to it. It's yep. really hard for us to quantify and, and talk about this, but I've, you kind of know it when you see it, right? Of like the guy that's up there is like, yep, he's a rehearsed politician type of thing, right? Yep. Versus, no, he's got a me- this guy's got a message to share. This guy really believes what he's saying, and he's passionate, and he's authentic. You can kind of tell the difference. Typically. The greatest public speakers that you'll find are, and I don't rehearse. We're going to get into this later.
1: They're rehearsed and it comes across as though they're not. That's true. Everything yeah. is smooth. I was reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's book recently, his six or seven seven rules for life or whatever. And he talks about how he would literally spend like a day or two just practicing over and over and over all these speeches as governor of California. To where it's like he could do it in his sleep. Yeah. He just knew it that well. But then he gets up and he's so personal, personable. Like You'd have no idea that every single word of that is scripted. Yeah. You'd think he's shooting from the cuff, man. You'd think he's like... That is mastery. That right is there. mastery. Yeah. We're not there yet. I'm not even close to there yet. But that, I think, is something that, that is worthy of striving for. But it really comes across as genuine, authentic, and real. And
0: adjacent to this is the next thing we've got on here. I guess this would be number one, two, three, four, five. Is eye contact. Yes. Man, nothing detracts from a message presentation sermon whatever more than you're up there speaking and you're just kind of looking down, your voice is you know down here instead of out there, you're not making eye man nobody's listening to you at that yeah. point. Eye contact. Look people in the eye. And a lot of this goes to you need to have your content memorized or at least you know know what you're going to say. So that you can look people in the eye. Man, people can can focus more. They're engaged more when you're engaged with them versus being engaged with your paper in front of you. And so eye contact is really huge. Anything to add on that before we move on? (laughs) I heard of a preacher one time. He would not look you in the eyes. He looked everybody right above the head. (laughs) <laughs> and so, literally,
1: they said, "Like, please lower." I was, I was talking to some people who went to his congregation. Lower your eyes, like, can That's you please just look me? Yikes. And it was so distracting that he would just scan the, you know, scan around, and it was always at the top of people's heads, never in their eyes. People pick up on that. Like, they were members of his congregation, loved the guy to death. Great guy, That's funny. but I'm telling you, eye contact, and this is a one-on-one thing as well, eye contact goes a long way, we've talked about that. It's no less from the pulpit. When you connect with somebody, and it's like they're speaking to me, there's a, there's a, man, the power in that moment where yep. it's like, that is powerful because you connect it on a personal level. Next I'd say is hand gestures. You could tell Will and I use a lot. I use, I can't, like if you tied my hands behind my back, You'd be I'd probably just, I'd, in, yeah. seriously, I'd stop talking. I just don't know what to do. I'm always gesturing in some way. Um, Some people, you know, you look like the Francis Chans or whatever, they're masterful. Every gesture just makes perfect sense. And everything he does, it's like, that's just weird. I don't, you know, I wouldn't do that with my hands, but it makes perfect sense in the moment. Some people practice hand gestures before they get up. It does make, it gives it more of a natural feel, I feel like. Yes, exactly. When you, your hands are in your pockets. Um, But that is kind of, you brought this up before. Should you, a lot of people are sticklers about this and I don't think you are as much, you were talking about the hands in the pocket because a lot of people don't know about the hand gestures. You don't want to be like a distraction where you're going nuts unless you're making a very emphatic point. I've done that before. It's like this is amazing and I kind of make that for those that are watching or that are not watching. The touchdown signal. Yes, the touchdown signal. Like sometimes that makes sense if you're doing that every time it gets old.
0: So use it sparingly. What are your thoughts though on the hands in the pocket? I I think for the most part you should probably keep your hands out of your pocket. It's just kind of a tacky not the best thing in the world however i don't think it's like you know uh don't ever do it like for instance i'll move to the side of the pulpit sometimes and i'll have you know as i'm making a point i'll have a hand out here and i'll have a hand in the pocket and it's i feel like it's it is it natural, na- it's natural. Yeah, i think if you can do it naturally natural. but i mean yeah for the most part i get why people say don't do it i just think you know Use it sparingly, I guess. I one hand in the pocket's way different than two. Yeah, don't well. ever it, put two. Don't no, ever put no, two no. hands
1: in your pocket. One hand in the pocket. Be gesturing with the other one, whichever way that may be for you. Um, again, we're going for natural. If you have to rehearse the hand gestures, that's fine. I used to do that myself. It'll it, become more natural. It will become yeah. more natural. It has to look natural. If the hand gestures look too forced as they go, you just look like, don't worry, go to Mr. Roboto, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, exactly, um, Next one is... You, you, talk about this one's big, number yeah. seven. Yeah, it, it's basic, and and you know, you may wonder why it's on here. Clean yourself up, and the reason why I say clean yourself up. If you get in the pulpit and you got greasy hair, and you're
0: you just or look at your work shovel, presentation, this still applies to other areas as well. That's yeah. very
1: true. Every every area where you go to give this, your tie is askew. You know, your hair is greasy. You haven't washed it in three days. You know, you just look. Your, your shovel, clothes are wrinkled. Your clothes are wrinkled. Um, no. No, no. When you get up to public speak, specifically if you're preaching, first, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, look in the mirror. Mirrors are your friend. Check to see if there's anything in your teeth. Check. To, I always look, you know, as dumb as it may sound, I look up my nose make sure there's not some giant booger. That's saying, you know, not to be gross, but like you got to think about those things because yeah. that will be an absolute distraction to the guy on the front row who's just looking right up your nose the entire time. You didn't hear a word you said because all it would have taken was two
0: seconds for you to check and to fix. Well... It's nice and easy. Once again, it's about the presentation. Like it's, it's a lot of it is about like, do you like you belong up there? And right. if your you your hair's all over the place and you're you're just super, like you said, disheveled. Yeah, no, people aren't gonna take you. It's a distraction. Seriously. Yeah, you're not gonna be taking it seriously with Sorry. your message, especially if you're in the pulpit. Like, come on. Yeah. Um. Number, I think we're on number eight. I think I'm keeping right. keeping track yeah. right. Number eight. Joe, this was one you put down. I completely agree. Take note of your kind of fidgets, the things that. Your tics, I guess, the the nervous tics that you do. Sometimes these are hand gestures. I've got a story about that later. Sometimes these are verbal um, kind of crutch phrases, things that you say over and over again because, you know, maybe as you're trying to transition from one point to another, you're like, oh, what do I say? And so you just kind of use a filler phrase and then you use that same filler verbal phrase 40 times. That's a verbal crutch. And there's things that, you know, as you grow in public speaking and as you get better and better and better, you're going to learn. Oh man, I say that all the time. Especially, man, there's nothing like recording yourself and yes. back and listening. I was like, Did say, I really say that 60 yourself. times? Yeah, sometimes it, it is helpful to, to go back and listen and you know, because in the moment you're not gonna notice, but going back and listening, you're like, whoa, I said that or I did that same hand gesture a thousand times. I gotta stop that. But man, notice those things. It helps. Recording yourself is huge. We don't have it on here, but I would
1: strongly suggest you record yourself. It is the most awkward thing I hated this, but they made me do it in Bear Valley, homiletics, you'd watch yourself, hate the sound of my voice, that's one of the reasons why I struggle listening to the podcast and watching. I just hate the sound <laughs> of my voice, um, I think everybody does, everybody does, yeah, I just need to get over it, but the, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to watch it, but man, I'm telling you what, you learn more about yourself, you know, and, and we just need to do this, you know. And you know th- this is really what God is trying to say, you know. You know like, you know, you know, you know, you know. You know how <laughs> many times can you say you know? Just shut up. And and I'm watching myself 5 minutes in going, "You idiot. How yeah. did you not n- recognize it? nervous tick to exactly this point? Notice your ticks, notice your fidgets, record yourself whether that be. You know, I think uh it's it's good to video yourself if possible because you can see what land or what hand gestures landed, what did not. But if you can't, at least record yourself verbally to hear. What is the voice? Im- well, I I had plenty of fl- voice inflection as you talk like this the entire time. When you're nervous, you think you do things that you don't, or yeah. you don't recognize all these nervous tics. Like, 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 don't say like a bazillion times, right? Yeah. Uh, licking the lips. Finn, I know a guy that, you know, happens to be my dad, so call out, shouting out my dad. But I do this too. If I have a pen in my hand, he plays with a pen the entire time. Yep. Or so many people take a tap, uh, rubber tap, band tap or, something, or a yeah. tap or whatever's in their hand. They're just doing the entire time like, put it down. I understand that's kind of a that, that's that's one of those things that,
0: again, this I'm is, the this same is not had, as belitt- I mean, we used to be that, like this is where that's stuff exactly we a, had to grow. from. These
1: are things we're working through or that we've worked through to this point where I've been doing this for, again, pushing 20 years where I've public speak, uh, public spoken, public, publicly spoken, publicly spoken. There you go. That sounds good. You recognize these things, and I've also been through three homeletics classes where they rake you over the coals for these things and go, Hey, this is what you did wrong. Yeah. That helps to have some feedback from somebody else that literally is giving you a grade as to whether
0: you did that. So just be aware of that. Last thing I'll say, actually there's one more I was gonna add at the end, but go ahead because this this next one is number nine, and we should have had it as a you know, rounded out a nice there number. There you go. 10. So I got a, got a number that's ten that's just go gonna it.
1: it's gonna put a bow on it all. I think it's it's nothing groundbreaking. But number nine, sparingly use humor. This goes both ways, because when I told you this, you took it one way and I take it the other. And I'm glad you took it that way because it goes both ways. Do not be, again, a robot where everything is stoic. Sparingly, you stick some, in the mud. Yeah, thing, stick in yeah. the mud where it's like, oh, my goodness, the guy just read a phone book. No, you want to have some humor. You want to bring it in. If it's too forced or it's a joke, do not ever make an off-color joke. Oh no. And, yeah. you know, you have to read the audience. But to be honest, especially if you're preaching, don't ever do it. Business, it's still not going to look good. Um, don't ever make an off-color joke, things like that. But you can sparingly use some humor, but sparingly use it. We all know the jokester who uses it as as a nervous thing. Literally every like forty five seconds, he's got a joke. Thrown exactly, in and, yeah. everything's a joke to him. Don't be that guy either. And a lot of times, that's the nervousness coming up. This goes to number unless there's anything. Else no, go ahead, go ahead. This goes to number ten, and I'll let you kind of wrap it as to why this even matters. But number ten, I would say. This wraps everything. Be confident when you oh, stand up. Yeah. You may not, you may not feel confident. All of this—the speaking up, the posture, the being real, the eye contact—all of that comes from confidence. When you stand up there, even if you don't feel it, project confidence. I used to have a uh, shout out Wayne Roberts. He was my homiletics two teacher. Fantastic guy. Um, And what he used to say is, you know, if you got up in the pulpit and you projected confidence, you could people would go along with it, and you could say, "I'm going to preach from Job to Malachi," so Job <laughs> to Malachi, but it. As long as you said it confidently, people are like, like oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa, is that how that's pronounced? I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, so as long as there's confidence there, project confidence even if you don't feel it. It's okay and- to have your, your hands sweating, your knees shaking, but don't let don't let people see that as much as, you don't have to be Mr. Suave, but like, be confident in who you are and know that and, there's a, and this is kind of where I was going with it and I'll pass over because I, I had a lot of thoughts as I was thinking about this on the oh, fly. Oh, really? There's the idea of like, well, picture your audience naked. That's the stupidest thing ever. Don't don't do that, but what they're trying to do is make you more comfortable up there. Here's what always helped me people are way more forgiving than you think they are. Mm-hmm. They they you know nobody's really going to laugh at you. They realize it's like if this is so easy you get up and do it. Nobody wants to. They're grateful they're not up there. And that's of the time, exactly yeah. it. So don't ever worry about what people think. You know, from that, most people are more gracious. And the second thing is, don't worry about what they think. Even if they think you look like an idiot. What I always pray before I get up in the pulpit, I should say always most of the time, if I remember to pray, I always say, you know, as I'm walking up, like God, let me be used. Whether I look like an idiot or not is not the point. Let somebody be let this be beneficial to somebody here. If that means I look like an idiot up there, but it really helps somebody else, praise be to God, right? Glory to God. Like, it's not about you, and and that's preaching specifically, but even when you get up to, to public speak somewhere else, the confidence comes from like, you know what? Even if I look like an idiot, Okay. I'll make a self-deprecating joke one time and move on from that and be like, yeah, I did kind of look dumb up there. Own it and move on, but do not let that be the defining moment of your life of like, man, the one time that I did that. We all have embarrassing
0: stories we're going to get into that, but it's okay is what I'm saying. Well, it's just like anything else. The more you practice it, the better you're going to be at it. Like, man, y'all are telling me i got to use hand gestures and i got to do all these things. Like, yeah, it's going to come with time. Just work on it. And where I want to, before we move on to how to prep a sermon, why this matters is, is something that I kind of want to, to bring up here um, because you might be listening going, man, why, why do I have to worry about hand gestures? Why do I have to worry about my voice inflection? And why do I have to worry about you know X, Y, and Z, this and all the stuff you guys talked about? Like, Shouldn't it just be all that matters is me preaching the word? My answer is no. I don't think, I, I do think, my answer is yes, it matters, and that you preaching the word is not the only important thing. And the reason I say that is because you could have two guys that get up there and, and they have the exact same message. They are preaching the word of God. It's a strong, biblical, solid, sound lesson. If one of them has these dynamics that we've talked about, hand gestures, makes eye contact, roams around a little bit. We can talk about that pacing maybe a little bit. Um, you know, Israel is doesn't have the preaching voice. And the other guy has none of that, stares at his notes, doesn't move from the pulpit, monotone. Which one do you think is going to be far more effective in communicating mm-hmm. the word of God to a point where people can remember it? Yeah. It's the one that uses all the dynamics and no the doubt. things we talked about. I mean, there are people that will say, ah, none of that stuff matters. I'm sorry. It does. That's just the way life is. It's just the way it works that the people who are more charismatic, the people who are more, you know, again, engaging in it their message is going to stick longer. You're going to be able to to stay with them on their illustrations and their examples and all yep. those things versus the people who don't have any of that stuff. And you might be say, well, that's the, that's not the way it should be. It's just the way it is. And so it yes, is. it does matter. I do think it I think we both agree. Yep. It is very important. And again, if you're going to go into this realm of public speaking, preaching whatever, you need to you need to see these things as important and and make sure that you kind of try to incorporate them as much as you can, I would say. Yep. Anything to add to that? No,
1: that's that's a fantastic Summation. I don't think I could add anything else to that. Let's jump into. So that's really the public speaking end. Whether you're preaching or not, you know, we want you to have those skills because it will serve you as we've already talked about so well in so many other areas of your life. Now we want to get to okay, specifically a sermon. This is Godly. Amen. We are hoping you're going to take our advice. Going back a couple weeks of like, man, ask every single time there's an opportunity to speak, take it. Go ask. Go figure it out, right, uh, as to how you're going to do the Devo, whatever else. But then you go, okay, now what? I don't right. know how to how prep I these prep, things. How yeah. do I prep these things? That's what we're here for. How do you prep a sermon? Again, trial and error on our part, um, probably more on my part than yours. I oh, think no, you've I've always had. Both, yeah. And your dad's just a very, very good public speaker, so you've always had some of these things. And, and so, you know, my dad's a good public speaker, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't in that same vein, and so I didn't grow up a I was going to say, I'll start
0: the first one. Go for this, it. This is something my dad kind of did always, instill in me, and, and I'd always try to... Have these at the start of my sermons, Joe. You also I feel like have to do a good job of these with your sermons of there is a there is some serious value to a good introduction. Yeah. There is some serious value to not getting up there and saying, My name is Will Herb and today I'm gonna to be talking to you about baptism <laughs> and da da da. da. <laughs> yeah, you just lost like 60% of your audience. Yep. There's something different or there's a difference between that and somebody that gets up with, you know, jumping right into a historical story. Yeah. Somebody gets right into a, a real life current event. Somebody gets right into a uh you know, something some kind of introduction mm-hmm. that captures attention, grabs you. And it it's not for the purpose of just trying to wow everybody and then okay, now let's talk about the Bible. The, the, the a good introduction for a sermon is one that you capture the attention, you get people hooked, and then that flows seamlessly into what you're going to talk yeah. about. I typically also try to bring it back around in the conclusion and bring it, bring what I introduced it with back around so it you know, kind of puts a nice bow yeah. on it. But regardless of if you do that or not, a good introduction, get a val- a, a, the value of that is you're hooking people, you're capt- capturing their attention, and then it flows perfectly into what you're talking about. Whether that be the example, analogy, whatever. That's the value of a good introduction.
1: They taught us in homiletics, you know, how to how to prep a sermon. You got seven seconds to capture. Yes. Now, I
0: don't know if that's true or not. If it's a like, you, like people's seven. attention span is basically that long.
1: Exactly. If you don't hook them in seven seconds, which is why Bob Turner, who taught us hom 1 and 3, um, specifically said, "Do not thank people when they get up. Well, nope. Thank you for the opportunity." Yep. The reason why is, boom, you lost it. Seven seconds gone. If you get up there and you're immediately. And, and there's different ways to do this. I got up and preached a certain, what was it, a month ago where I just oh, yeah. got up and, and was silent for like, I think it was 23 seconds. Literally just stood in the pulpit. And just... I stood in the pulpit for 23 seconds in silence. That'll capture attention. I didn't say a thing, but there is a a level of like capturing attention, yep. right? Um, and it had a very real point, which is we don't do well with silence. It's very awkward. And so we're not silent with God and be still another know that I'm God. So you can use this accordingly. One of the best guys i've ever seen do this uh, it was a baptist preacher actually but he'd start with a story and he would he would not tell you the end of the story i i, I try to do that sometimes yes yeah. until the very end and my goodness you go what happened like did, did he did he make it did he survive type of thing and i imagine he did survive but like how did that happen because it kind of forced you to be engaged yes throughout the rest of the sermon. you engage yeah. and you go okay and then he perfectly wraps it into the end so a good intro man i tell you it's gold if you get him at the very beginning it, it, honestly, I think unless you really take a nosedive off the cliff, you'll probably have them for the majority or yeah. if not all of the sermon. Number two, stick to a simple outline, especially to start. If you're really just getting into you're how to prep a sermon, yeah. what I would suggest is the scriptural three points. No, just kidding. It's not scriptural. But <laughs> three point outline. there's a reason a three-point outline
0: exists and why it is very, very um, common is because it's easy. It's funny. So I started out, of course, learning the three-point outline, and then I kind of migrated away from it. Almost in, not in an arrogant way, but kind of like, oh, I don't need to use a three. He's outline. rebellious. Yeah, <laughs> I've come back around to it because it is so. First of all, it's 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 one of those things that like it helps me make sure that my sermons are easy to understand and like you can logically follow them. Yeah. Um, but then also again, because it is easier on people to like, yeah. you know, you know, you just told me a lot, but what what did you want me to learn? Like. That's kind of what the three points are for, yep. of like, here are the things to remember, because they're not going to remember, goodness, probably 15% of your sermon. But if you can get them to remember the main things, you've kind of done your job. And so I, I have come all the way back around full circle. Two, I, I usually have, not always three, but two, three, four, somewhere in that range, five, six, whatever, points, so that people can know, okay, these are the takeo- These are the takeaways that he's wanting me to get.
1: Yeah, it's just easy. Uh, I would stick with that. Two, three, four, three is usually, and you'll notice The biblical text works in triplets a lot. It's because there's a memory thing, in my opinion. I think God knew this. There's a a level of memory of like we grasp three. It's a triune trinity completion, right? There's some things like that. So the text works in a Trinitarian way almost, you know, a lot of the time. So as you're looking through Paul's writings, like, oh, boom, boom, boom. There's three points where he says, you know, Put off the old man, take on the, or what does he say, uh, cleanse and take on the new man, right in Ephesians 2 right there. Like there's a three-point outline yeah. right in the text looking you in the face. Stick to three points. Make it easy. Um, but this is a interesting. You brought this up as an interesting question. Do you do an outline or do you do a manuscript? And a manu- what we mean by that is do you just do the main points and then speak on the main points
0: or do you literally write out the entire sermon? I've, I've done both. Um if I'm going to do a like a like I, don't know to I don't know, but like a, a big seminar they've invited me out to speak I usually manuscript it because I kind of want I do want to plan out everything I'm going to say yeah. and like the perfect way to say this and that and I don't I don't ever read it of course verbatim right. but at least when I have it up there I know okay this is what I plan to say and this is kind of the best way I want to say it um, sometimes for Jackson Temple I don't mm-hmm. sometimes I will just kind of have a general outline now my outlines are very very detailed of like you know this point and this point. But it's not always verbatim. The problem sure. with the manuscript of like writing out everything out is you are tempted to just get up there and read it. Yes, and you are tempted to, to rely too heavily on it. I think, I do think if you're if you're learning, I would actually probably start with try to preach off of an outline because it does force you to think on your feet and it forces you to kind of. Again, just communicate your thoughts rather than, well, let me just read my paper. Yep. And so I, I do kind of go back and forth. You're a manuscript guy, though, aren't you? The crutch is the manuscript. Yeah, because exactly as you said, if I do freeze
1: up. And so I actually might disagree with you a little on that. I might do a manuscript to begin with, fully realizing you probably will read most of it at the beginning. Yeah. That's not good. Eye contact is very important. However, there's two sides to it. I understand your point of like you will grow so much more by doing an outline yeah. where you do have to think on your feet. The problem is, if you do freeze up, it does get, like, I'm telling you, Five seconds silence in the pulpit is like an eternity.
0: And thinking on your feet, for some people, can lead them into all over, you know, going all over the Correct. place. Correct. Chasing rabbits, we'll yet. get
1: into that in a second, but that's exactly it. So... There are reasons why to do both. I do believe you're right in the fact you will grow more and it will push you more to do an outline based thing where you gotta think on your feet where it's
0: just main point, Basically main point, main. Because point. like you know what you want to say. Right. And you know here are the main things I need to say, and everything else you kind of fill in. Um so maybe it would be something as simple as like you write the whole thing, and maybe your process needs to be you write the whole thing out, manuscript it. You know, read over, whatever, and then trim it down to what, what you take up there yeah. is just your outline. Now, you and you still have a lot of the manuscript in your head, but it's not all in front of you. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking out loud here. But. Yeah.
1: And what I would say on the manuscript, I've seen people that literally write it like they write just paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, and it's it's literally like a novel. word document. Like a, like a, book, a novel. Uh yeah. uh. Uh-uh. No. The manuscript I do is intro A, B, C, D, you know, point one. But it's just still word for a, word. A, yeah. one, little a. You know, like it's word for word, but it's all structured in outline. I ad-lib so much. I could never preach yeah. the same sermon twice. So I get up there and it's like, I know what I want to say, but I also kind of know where I was going with it. And there are times where I jump ahead and go, oh, whoops, I did that. You think on the fly you get better at it. I have it as a crutch. I don't fully know why. The weird thing is my Bible classes, any Devo I do, if I'm doing anything off Outline. the spot, I don't even have an outline. I have questions, and I go up there. Like it's it's as dumb as you can. He's deno- one end
0: of the spectrum of the other, man. Yeah, yeah, truly.
1: Bible classes, I'm very much. I can ask questions. I can engage, but that, that's maybe the therapist coming out is. I like asking questions and engaging. Whereas for sermons, I'm way more structured than you. And Jack also, my brother also does great outlines where he doesn't do it. So, bit of a bit of a lengthy um, digression here. But you I have it, options. It, yeah. it you have options. Pick the one that works best for you, but the folly of the manuscript, do not read everything. The folly of the outline is you better know where you're going with it. Yep. If you get up there and expect, well, I'll figure it out as I get up there, and you're not real super, quick. Yeah.
0: Let's hit the next, uh, go let's for skip it. one. Don't rabbit chase. Yeah. How, I mean, man, there. I think that is probably my biggest pet peeve listening to preachers is when you have no idea what they're trying, like the point they're trying to get across is because they go, they're go, they going down this path, and then all yep. of a sudden they're over here, and then they're over there, and they're over here, and then you're like, what are you trying to say? And it sometimes seems like they don't even know what they're trying to say because right. they're just like, oh, they. I had a thought about this, and then that pours me on over here. And it's like, no, 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 no. That you are not cut out for public mm-hmm. speaking. If that's what you're going to do, if you're not cut out for a preacher, especially. Again, do not rabbit chase. Make sure that people can. One of the things I, I kind of do this while I'm preaching. Honestly, I ask myself, am I being coherent? Hmm. Am I? Am I? Can people follow me? I watch people's faces. Like, are they are they with yeah, me? Yeah, same. Can they understand what I'm saying? Are they logically following my thoughts? Because just because it makes sense to me on my page, or my manuscript, or my outline, doesn't mean it makes sense to them. And so, man, that just gets confounded if you rabbit chase. And so, constantly evaluate and ask yourself: Am I being clear and coherent enough? I will occasionally review and repeat based off of what I'm seeing in the audience. If I yeah. can tell
1: that there's a disconnect, I will go back through. You know, and and match it with my outline as much as or with my manuscript as much as possible, but you do get a feel for that the more you public speak. There is a reason why the greatest orators in the world, like presidents, are still working off of. You know, they got their um, what do you call teleprompter them? The teleprompters. Thank you. They're not rabbit chasing, and they are the greatest orators, the greatest public speakers in the world. They wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been president if they weren't that right. They well, still go off current notwithstanding. Okay, That's a good, yeah. point. good point. He can't really string two thousand. Sorry. Um... Anyway, (laughs) But anyway, they still use a teleprompter. Do not go up there and think you're Mr. Big Shot and and be rabbit chasing. People will be lost. But this brings us into a thesis statement, especially when you're beginning, can be very important. And that's the idea of what's the one thought? This is the question you'd ask yourself. When you're first starting out from a homiletic, again, perspective... What is the one thought from this sermon I want them to get out? If they don't remember my three points, if they don't remember anything else I said, they don't remember my illustration, my great intro, what's they don't the remember anything. What's the of
0: my sermon, yeah. What's
1: the main thrust? What's the main point? And if you can't come up with that yourself, go back to the drawing board. If okay. you're all over the place, it speaks to the rabbit chasing. If you're all over the place, and you get to the end and people are like, okay, what, what was that about? I think there's like three or four different things that that was about. No. You want one main point. The, the main points are supposed to support the thesis statement of like, You know, Christ is king, and then we can talk about how he's king over the rulers of the world, he's king over your heart, he's king over, you know what I mean? Like, those support the thesis of Christ is king, if that makes sense. So you want people to go out going, I know Christ is king, yeah, and he is king over all these things, and you want them taking it out, applying it in their lives from there. So the one thing I'll say is some people fancy themselves to be like a Francis Chan. He didn't have any three-point outline. He would just have one main thought. And so there for a while, maybe for like five years, everybody wanted to do that where it's just a running monologue kind of, and, and almost a dialogue back and forth. There's like two people in the world that can effectively do it. He's one of them. Don't think you're him. Um, I got into this where it's like, I think I can do that. No, you can't. <laughs> it is unbelievably difficult. Bob Turner actually was one of them. He was so good at taking a single point. He did not have structured outline, and you came away understanding what it was. I mean, I was, it was very, very impressive. Um, Get a thesis statement, get an outline together. Don't chase rabbits. Next one, illustrations are important. I am terrible at this. I'm preaching to myself on this one. Because illustrations are one of the hardest things in the world for me. Um, there are certain people that view life through an illustrative lens. Everything that happens to them is like that's an illustration for a sermon. I don't think that way. Or they can constantly come with metaphors and you know. Yes, stuff like exactly. That, yeah. The weird thing is I do in therapy, which is really weird. I'm Johnny on the spot in therapy. If I need to come up with an illustration, boom.
0: When it comes that, to, that is such a good skill too of like you can just come up with something that's like man on the spot. Yeah. It's
1: that's how I initially did that. You know, emotions are very much like the the water bottle fills up and you have very have have little very or very little room left, you know, and that's when you explode. And then when it gets, like this was all on the well, spot one time when I was working with a kid trying to explain it. I can't do that to save my life <laughs> in the pulpit. I don't know what it is. Illustrations are difficult for me. Work
0: on it. It's very important because that's the thing that people are going to hook and grab to. I would say don't overdo it though. Yeah, um, this tr- is one true. I actually, I kind of try to limit myself. I try to have one illustration per sermon. Okay. I think that, that helps me at least, of like, because if you have three or four, or five, six, seven, eight, nine, people lose it and they're like, well, I don't really know what, again, it can get kind of lost. Yeah. I try to have one good illustration. I, it's kind of the same thing with stories. I mean, one good story, you don't overdo the stories either. Um I think it kind of can add some some depth, some character to the sermon where you're in the Bible a lot, you're trying to make application a lot, but man the illustrations help and a story every I'll, I'll loop that in as well. I do about one per. Again, that's just kind of my thing. I think it again just adds a little character, a little depth and I think it helps. Uh the next thing I want to get to is if you're starting out, how do you prep a sermon? Man, what what do you like what what about the content? Like as far right. as textual, topical, um, we were having a discussion before we turned the cameras on about should you start more so on the topical end of things of like, for instance, preaching on the love of God, preaching on um, the blood of Christ, preaching on baptism, preaching on um, joy, joy, yeah, stuff like that. that. That'd be a topical sermon versus I'm going to take Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and preach on that. Or I'm going to take... Um, you know John three sixteen through twenty one, and I'm going to preach that. that that's going to be the, that's going to be a textual exegetical sermon where you're pulling it out of the text. Philippians four for joy, you could preach a topical where you bounce
1: twelve different texts, or you could preach Philippians four on joy. They're both on joy, but one is textual, yeah. right out of the
0: text. The other is a, a you know again you're Here, bouncing all over. Here's the pro for for topical because neither one of us would consider ourselves topical preachers. The pro for topical is if you're starting out, it is it is easier to kind of get in the habit of preparing stuff doing it that way it's the concordance of like again love joy I'll, I'll pull a bunch of verses yeah. we would both recommend don't stay in that zone because it's not a very good way to study the Bible first of all and it's really not a great way to preach of like let me go to 14 different places to tell you about love where the Greek word is probably different in most of those places yeah. and the con ripping them out of context it's not great again it's not the worst place in the world to start it is a little bit easier um, but that's what's called you know proof texting we brought up before of like just kind of you know, I'm going to go rip this verse out of context because it supports my point here and this and that. Again, it's not the worst thing in the world. I I think we both recommend you need to gravitate, graduate, I guess you could say, more so into the textual sermons, expository, expounding on the text. But topical is not the end of the world, I guess I would say.
1: Yeah, when you're starting, as you said, it's easier to do it because if you're not a... I hesitate to say this because it sounds really arrogant. I'm not like some major student in the Word. But like if you're not used to being in the Word, if you don't know how to exegete, if you really don't know how to read the text through a, a textual lens, um, stick with topical. That's yep. okay. You grow into that. You know, Study under somebody. Read some books, exegetical books, or whatever it is. Talk to somebody who's really good at Bible study. Learn it. But if you're not that way initially, it's okay to go to Strong's Concordance. Here's what I will say. Understand the context of each to your point of proof texting. You can't go to faith in Romans and faith in James and think they're the exact same thing. They're talking about two separate concepts. You know, faith with work, and this is where Martin Luther ran into problems is, well, James is a straw epistle because he used it. No, he didn't understand the context of either. This is what happens when we start crossing these things is, well, we'll take from James, we'll take from Romans, take from Matthew. They're all trying to get different points across. Be very aware of that when you go in to do a, a topical. Textual, I think, is that's the meat and potatoes, man. That's where you're really getting into the Word. You're causing people to fall in love with the Word of God. You you're falling
0: in love. I was going to say, you'll feel like you grow more also when Big you're studying time. for that, I would say. At least So,
1: I to your point, strive for that, is what I would say. Um, one thing I did not have in here that I'm going to say briefly, make sure you put good application in yeah you know you can have a textual you could rip apart romans and it's like whoa this is almost as good as the apostle paul if there is no application to it, it's like all right cool
0: let's go home yeah, yeah
1: exactly like that's a bible study that's cool what makes a sermon stick is the fact that you apply it to their lives what does this mean to me that's really what they're coming to hear for is Yes, they want to hear the Word of God proclaimed, but they also need to know, how does that relate to me? This is why we are not a big fan of of preaching on baptism to a bunch of baptized believers. It means nothing to them. That doesn't mean you never do. There's there's a time and place. But if that's all you're preaching, if you're just preaching the hits, you know, all the things that you think are going to get you liked, instruments, things like that, No. We need the meat of the word. Maybe that's the the milk. We need the meat. We need to know what does this mean to me? Be willing to delve into, when you get a little bit better, be willing to delve into transgenderism. Be willing to delve into the things that people are really wrestling with right now of like you know socialism or whatever else that people are, are struggling with. Be willing to delve into that and handle it from a biblical perspective. Yep.
0: People will thank you for that. So application point, yeah. all day long. Get us in the last one. Yeah, so I'll hit this one quickly because yep. we still got some fun stuff we want to do, and uh, we actually can't see our timer at the moment. So We're at we forty-two have... minutes. We oh, joked oh, about oh, this. You can't see, oh, there you go. You can see it. <laughs> we, joked ahead we got to wrap. Um, rehearsing. Um, I would recommend rehearsing as you're starting because again, just kind of help you, people say do it in front of the mirror. Same thing as videoing yourself. It just kind of helps you see, um, you know, the way again, the way that you your ticks and all those things, the way that you're communicating. Um, I I was telling Joe when I was at Decatur and I was. Preaching regularly once a month, teaching class all the time, but preaching regularly once a month, I had time to rehearse and so I did. It did help me. It was something that it gave me, not not so I could get up there and again seem fake or anything like that, but just it gave me more practice of like, here's what I want to say, let me figure out how to say it better. And so you have time to rehearse, especially when you're starting, I would say do it. Um, it's, I don't think it's, you know, you got, it's required or anything like that, but it probably, I'd say it does help.
1: The cons of rehearsing are don't be robotic. Yes. You can rehearse to the point where once again, as I said, the best ones rehearse a lot and still come across as very genuine. Do not rehearse to the point where everything seems planned and it's like, okay. You could tell you said that exactly. Like, you lose the realness sometimes. Yeah, I don't true. rehearse. At the same time, I'm with you as we were talking. I do better if I give it some time. Even if I don't rehearse, give it some time in between just to marinate, to think yep. about it. You may come to some different conclusions or want to add or take away things. Um, when you are starting out, you absolutely rehearse. I'll say that. You just need to, like, get the feel of being in the pulpit. You need to get the feel of, and what I would do is when I was young is I'd stand in the mirror and i make eye contact with myself. It's the most awkward thing in the world, Uh, so just be aware of that. It's very awkward, but it got me used to public speaking, quote unquote, where I was making eye contact with people, and it really helped. So I very much would rehearse. We wanted to do something fun. We are basically out of time, but we really wanted to do something fun because we haven't really done much fun for the last two, three, um,
0: in terms of just these questions. So Will, tell me your most... Embarrassing preacher story. Okay, so I'm gonna. I meant to. I'm gonna have two. I meant to say this earlier when we we're talking about the nervous ticks. So I was practicing for last to leaders. This was. I've got another one. I'll tell in a second. But I was practicing for last to leaders, and um, I was practicing in front of the guy who was coaching me, and it was just like a five minute speech maybe, and he was watching for my nervous ticks. Turns out he counted. I still remember the number. Shout out David Broom. I did this with my hands. 78 times seventy-eight times in a five-minute speech <laughs> just this apparently over and over again i didn't even notice it i was trying to do the hand gestures thing i just literally would open and close open and close 78 times when he told me that i, I could not believe it but as far as embarrassing goes um i was preaching at decatur actually for a youth area wide this was a big like uh, people congregations all over the the area would come and um i was the, i was speaking and um, they had one of those – they had just upgraded a microphone system, new mic system, one of those like Britney Spears things where it's over oh, your ear. I hate them. hate, hate them to death. I hate those. But I'm just cruising. I'm preaching. All of a sudden, there's the loudest static screechy noise all across the – reverberates. reverberates all across the auditorium. I stop. I then try to pick up and keep going. It does it again. Oh, no. Oh. And no. so in the middle of my sermon, I'm having to ask the sound booth, uh, guys, is, is that me? and you know they say well just use the the fr- the front mic and and take your mic off well i had i had looped the um, the microphone through my coat so that it wouldn't show oh, no. so i had to take it off and then just sit there and awkwardly hold it for the rest of the 20 minute however long i had to speak left. Oh, no. and i <laughs> oh, hate saying stationary at the pulpit i had to sit there and hold the thing i was oh, so embarrassed off i the last 15 minutes of that sermon were probably really really bad like it, it was not great but that was pretty. I mean, it's nothing yeah. I did, but it was still pretty embarrassing. Like, oh my goodness, nobody's listening to me now. I'm a, I, I got thrown off. It was rough. That was that was not. Yeah,
1: good. I've had a couple. I had one time where I had a very sick stomach. Kind of had like the runs, oh, and it was no. hitting in the middle of the pulpit. And what are you gonna do? You know, you can't get down. And so you basically like I was cramping up there. It was bad. Um. So that was like that hunching was over? over. Yes, like, like oh, hunching man. over, trying to get to a place where it would just dissipate and go away. That was very very bad. Um, I had another, the, the most embarrassing one I would say actually took place not that long ago, which is I was getting over sickness and I got that dry oh, throat. Yeah. Oh my word. I'm speaking in Georgia at a, at, at, a big congregation there. Um, shout out central church Christ. They're great. And I could not stop coughing. And they finally, in the middle of the sermon, they bring me two cough drops and I swallow the cough, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to get, it, it does not really help that much. And so I'm like, And then you know (laughs) it—it was the most embarrassing thing. And like my wife's like, "Oh man, who was that guy up there?" Yes. (laughs) And so it was get ten seconds out, and then get another fifteen seconds out, and then go to try to. You need to do like the just one big cough to get it out, but you can't really do that while you're up there. You know what I mean? Like you can't just hock a loogie while you're up in the pulpit. Right. Right. And so you're trying to hobble along. And this was—I had never spoken at this congregation. They invited me to speak. Kind as all, uh, kindest people in the world, but to cough into their. And the other thing is because I was mic'd. You couldn't just cough into the mic. I couldn't just cough. Yeah. Ca- you know, you're like covering the mic and stepping away from it. It was mortifying. That's rough. And again, I got through it, but you could tell nobody's paying attention at that point. All they can, they're just feeling bad for me. And you never want that where they're feeling bad for the guy in the pulpit. Um, that was pretty embarrassing. That's pretty rough.
0: Bad. I mean, that's the thing that we should have probably communicated. Like, if, if you do this enough times, you're going to have stories like that. Oh, yeah. Of just you know stuff you maybe you misspeak really really badly or something uh you know there's all kind of stuff don't don't let it get to you you'll rebound the next time um joe this has been a really long episode so we're gonna have to wrap right here but again as always hope this was helpful i hope this was something again regardless if you're going to be a preacher or not the stuff we talked about especially in the first half of the episode are crucially important i would strongly encourage everybody to make sure that you incorporate that into your work presentations your again speech at your son's graduation whatever it is like these are things that are important and so we hope it was helpful. Uh, leave any comments, feedback you have of stuff that's helped you or stuff maybe we left out. Anything to add before we wrap up? Nope. All right. This has been episode 54. We'll be back next week for episode 55 of the Golly Men Podcast. Thanks for watching.